0: Hmm, you can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of hefty large black bags. We want dynamite from the most site. lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. It's sweet here from John and Wei Tate. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear are opinions of the show.
1: Go to the folks let them know. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind a Dynamite, the very self sufficient title that gives you everything you need to know about what this show is about. Hello, way.
0: Hey, John. How you doing? I'm doing. I'm doing swell. Swell. That's a good. That's a good one. That means like a good seventy percent, seventy five.
1: Yeah. I'm. Go- I'm going through this. Uh, it's very difficult week on my my sleep schedule. Where I, I am not sleeping very well and mm. I have been up till about 4 a.m. the last three nights and it has been it has been rough on me. But what I'm finding is that late at night is where I almost get like a a second wind. Definitely. <laughs> I, I could use a few of those winds, though, during the day because th- this has been a struggle this week.
0: Man, I feel for you, man. That sucks. Are you are you taking in your uh, usual intake of coffee? Are you increasing the caffeine or what?
1: No, I'm not. I'm actually trying to decrease the coffee. So maybe maybe that is also playing a factor in all of this. But it is um Yeah, I don't know. I was uh inquiring. I'm like I didn't I didn't realize how uh these babies just have a mind of their own. And these teeth that start forming. It's it's very it's very complicated. There's no pattern to it. Ooh, it's
0: the teething process. Damn. It's the, te- it's the teething process. It's uh, the unpredictability. But that is uh, that is what you sign up for. You know, I, I just... I imagine... I mean, when we think about it, we're like, oh, teeth, what's the big deal? We all have teeth. Why are you crying about this, you baby? But I think about it, what if I just suddenly had a bunch of bones spring up from, the, from somewhere within my body? I'd be pissed. I'd be, I'd be freaking out. I'd be crying all over the place. I'd be in a cranky mood all day, so... I totally understand. And I uh, I, I I sympathize. Well,
1: if you ever want to babysit, way let me know. You can maybe uh. I'm good. This. No, I'm all right. okay.
0: All right. How's your day going? Good. You know, maybe on the caffeine talk. I I had my first coffee in like four days, and uh, it's made a world of difference in my day. Like I was super just alert i felt like you know myself like I got i got shit done uh not only that i even had a can of coke john <laughs> Are, d- dude like what is is there heroin in your pocket as well what, what's going on i had a can of coke it just is like you know we we went to like a chinese restaurant like weeks ago and like they give you sometimes like when you order like a big family dinner they give you sodas it's just the thing they do at, at chinese restaurants
1: i've never encountered this okay
0: yeah, like you, most people just drink tea, but like, I guess for the kids, they give you like just cans of like Coke. And so we're like, I guess we'll take them like, you know, just for when we have people over and I ran out of things to drink. So I drank a can of soda. Oh my God. And so I'm just wired up, you know, it just, feels, it feels, feels like I'm just, you know, like off of like, a. I went to rehab and then I just came back out and I just got back on the wagon. It sounds like it.
1: Wow. I'm trying to think i I'll have the occasional pop, but an actual Coke, I have not had since the decade of the two thousands. Like the two thousand tens, not one. You're, nor you're, north twenties. You're a ginger ale guy. Ginger ale and root beer are my only pops that I will I will have. I'm not pop. I'm not a big pop drinker. But are
0: you if, one of these seltzer people?
1: No, I don't like those either. I no? actually recently when when I had all of you over here in my backyard. And I bought a bunch of white claws, and there were all these ones left over. And I had one just a week ago. Just not my thing. I just—it's not even that it tastes bad. It's just I get it's—I'm not a seltzer person.
0: Well, I'm not even talking about alcoholic, like seltzer. I just mean like like bubbly or aha. Uh-huh. No, I don't need any of that. I've got no way. I've
1: got straight from the tap, okay? That's that's what I'm drinking, okay? okay? Water. Water, I don't need bells and whistles. I've never said to myself, you know what could make water better? I've never
0: asked that question. Water is good. I like yeah, water. Who, thought, who, who thinks to add bubbles to water? Like, what, oh, my God. Flavored water. It's like, come on. Yeah, bub- adding bubbles? Like, you want me, like. You can have bubbles you know, to It would be great would if, like,
1: have... the, the, the oxygen particles I breathed in. I wish I could do something with those. Like, maybe I could get peach, peach oxygen that I can just uh, put a mask over my nose. Oh, they make that. In. Are
0: you kidding me? Yeah. You never done hookah? Like, yeah, the, vape? Sure. Anyway, uh, I think people want to hear about wrestling. <laughs> oh, I didn't watch tonight. <laughs> oh, you didn't? I watched Nitro again. <laughs>
1: Dude, could we have gone, like, in a weird way, maybe Charlie Bastille thought, you know what? There's going to be this big episode of Dynamite. What if they watch the worst wrestling show 24 hours before they watch one of the best?
0: I'd, I'd, he had carefully planned this. Absolutely. Yeah, I,
1: th- I think that might have been the plan. Uh, we're going to get to Dynamite. And first off, I want to mention that coming up, we've got a lot of G1 coverage coming your way. Way and I are back at it on Thursday. We'll have another show Friday, and we're going to squeeze one in on Sunday before Extreme Rules. So the, the grind is, is on.
0: Yeah, I totally forgot about this, um, that we're going to watch a G1 tonight, or really tomorrow morning, and then talking about it tomorrow. But yeah, it, it starts a two-day stretch, and then Sunday. So we have a lot of, of stuff coming up, including, of course, Rampage, uh, SmackDown, and then Extreme Rules on Sunday.
1: Yeah, we will be back on Friday night, special start time of 12.15. We're going after midnight on Friday night. That I'm, I don't care how good the shows are on Friday night. I'm not looking forward to sitting down for four straight hours and then doing a show after. That's going to be a long night. But we will be live 12.15. We are not doing calls on Friday night. Have mercy on my soul is the reason. And we will be... Doing calls on Sunday night because we are making the Extreme Rules post show available to all patrons. Usually it's just double-double, ice cap and espresso. But all you one-milk, one-sugar patrons out there, it's
0: your lucky pay-per-view. Because we are breaking the rules for Extreme Rules. That is correct. Yeah, all patrons will be able to listen live and call in Sunday night after WWE Extreme Rules. And if that's not incentive enough to watch this pay-per-view, I don't know what is. And of course, in addition to that, you get all of our bonus shows, including the Nitro review we just did, including every single G1 show throughout the month of September.
1: So go check all of that out, and MC you later. We'll also drop on Thursday for mm-hmm. all members of the Post
0: Wrestling Cafe. It'll be me, WH Park, and Brent Chittenden, Whoa. talking about Party Thor, this new, new crazy, wacky edition of What If that just came out yesterday. Okay, well... Oh, one last thing! British Wrestling Adventure comes out tomorrow. Experience—it's an adventure oh, every shit. week, but it's truly an
1: experience. Most.
0: Yeah, you know it is. It is Bushby and Thompson's Wrestling Adventure. That's what I meant. They're all, They they just have all these uh, description. This uh, very vivid descriptions of what they do on Thursdays. Yes, yes. Anyway, so they're they're going to talk about Black Coal Sun, a PWG show featuring Kyle O'Reilly taking on Ricochet and Roderick Strong. So tune Ooh. in for that. Who's Kyle O'Reilly facing? Ricochet and Roderick Strong. I'm not familiar with this. Ricochet,
1: won't well, he exist or he Did he exists go anywhere? There. One of those flash in the pans in PWG lore. All right. Well, let's talk about a few news items before we get to Grand Slam. Uh, we, we every so often we stop recording on Monday night, and then some big big news happens within an hour. Such was the case Monday. Tetsuya Naito out of the G1. And due to a significant knee injury, and if it's an injury, it's going to be pretty damn significant to remove him from the G1. And this creates a whole ripple effect for the G1, where it is intricately booked. All of the wins and losses are designed to get you to your destination. And with a guy like Naito out with eight matches to go, pure chaos, pardon the pun. Uh, But now what will be done is that all of his opponents will get... Forfeit wins, but they're all going to be working the shows against replacements in non-tournament matches. That will begin with Thursday's show, where Yuji Nagata will step in to take on Tangaloa. And then Naito was supposed to take on Shingo Takagi on Sunday's show, so Nagata will take on Shingo. But it's just a total uh, (laughs) curveball that you get thrown. But I I can't even really call it a curveball this year, Wade, because you have to go in knowing that even the best laid plans you're doing this in a pandemic. It's just for injuries. Uh, that's, that's another obstacle that they have to overcome
0: for as long as I've been watching the G one, like they've avoided this. <laughs> they've avoided like somebody being so injured to the point where they're not not able to compete, much less drop out of the entire tournament. And it had to have ha- happened, you know, in a year where everything has already gone wrong anyway. So in in some aspects, it's only appropriate that um, this would unfortunately happen. For this, uh, hopefully, Naito will be back in time for Wrestle Kingdom. At this point, I mean, it's an what is it MCL? Yeah, I, I believe so. You know, ho- I mean, I I'm not exactly sure what recovery times for those are, but it sounds uh, you know kind of serious. So we hope for uh, uh, I, I would recovery.
1: say way if if he's out of the G one, I would say I. I take it as a significant injury because i would say if there was any chance he would gut his way through this Mm -hmm. like that it tells me this has to be pretty damn significant to be removing yourself
0: yeah and and you know it's tetsuya naito who was going to account for several of the bigger matchups throughout the tournament now um you know you you mentioned the replacements um are they going to change up the replacements for yes. every show
1: uh, it's it's going to uh differ throughout it's not like nagata's just taking all the empty spots it's going to uh shift like uh yujiro is going to take on bushi uh because that's what these shows need is yujiro versus bushi but right. um i i guess like your other option would have been selecting someone to just insert for naito and i look at it and like minoru suzuki could have been a great al- alternative to have but there's in some ways it's you say, well, how could you predict this this year with with COVID and such? I I would very much be looking at this as something where I would want to have some alternates ready to go because there is no guarantee that they're not going to have more issues over this next month with with just where the state of the world is.
0: Yeah, well, I think for all of our sakes, you know, I'm I'm really glad Minoru Suzuki made alternate plans this year because uh, oh, imagine Yujiro showing up at Arthur Ashe Stadium for the lights out match. Yeah. Instead, Yujiro versus Nick Gage would would be very interesting, sure. Oh man. Have have Yujiro fill in for Suzuki's uh, US schedule. Yeah, um, Nick Gage taking the pimp juice. <laughs> yeah, uh I I'm, I'm actually kind of interested to see what what other replacements they have. I mean, you know, it's probably going to be just, you know, various people from from the new Japan stable. Uh, whatever dads they have remaining, uh, that, that might take those spots, but it offers at least some fresh, unpredictable variety to an otherwise I would say largely predictable, at least roster wise G1.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is going to change things up. And this is where this is a G1 that we knew going in, like there was the chance of stuff like this happening and it could cause like an unpredictable winner at the end if there's somehow where they they lose out on names. Hopefully this is not something that they're going to have to encounter again, because I can just imagine the scrambling to put this together. Like this is a very complicated tournament when you're talking about uh, things out of your control where someone drops out and you have to account for all those wins and losses and it's also the – not just the wins Naito was supposed to have, but the losses he was supposed to have and how you make those up. It is – like I would be – my my grade 12 self would have just been frightened at the prospects of this math to figure out.
0: You know, of course, the biggest casualty in all of this is the post-wrestling G1 contest. and um, Chris, <laughs> I love it. Chris Engler wanted us to alert everybody that we will continue as planned in all of Naito's – Matches are going to be recognized as as losses as four. You have to. Yes. This is part of the fun. So goodbye, anybody's chances of getting a perfect score, even up until I think week t- two into this thing. Uh, but nonetheless, we it is a pretty even you know playing field maybe,
1: still. Maybe maybe Vivian Murray thought that Naito was just going to get swept <laughs> throughout the whole thing. Hey, he's Ran- going to go. I think lose Ran- every I latch. think Rando
0: Bot's chances are pretty
1: good this year. I'm going with RandoBot. Bot. I think okay. I think this. This year, they could pull it out. So Thursday's show is at... uh, They're doing back-to-back nights at uh, Oda Ward City Gymnasium. And it will feature a non-tournament match between Yuji Nagata and Tangaloa. And then your A-block matches are Great Okan versus Toriyano. Way setting his alarm for that one. Kenta versus Yujiro. It gets better. Kota Bushi versus Tomohiro Ishii, which should be outstanding. And then Shingo Takagi and Zack Sabre Jr. So this is kind of the tale of the A-block is that Usually you're going to get probably two great matches and then it's it's anyone's guess
0: what the rest provides you know going into this year, I, I mean I think most people feel sort of the, the drag of it all uh, the roster is not looking that great but the first two shows that have occurred have uh, contained two match of the year candidates. Yep. And I would I would say day three looks to be just as um, strong in terms of possibility here with yep. with Ishi versus Kota Ibushi. and even Shingle versus Zack is a match that I, I think could do oh. really well.
1: Zack was awesome in that match with Naito, and that that match got overshadowed. The match mm-hmm. that Naito we, we assume he got injured in uh, that was that was a fantastic match. It was just overshadowed by two incredible main events. Uh, what a week this has been yeah. for. Contenders. Uh and then Friday's show has Okada versus Evil, Sonata Taichi, Jeff Cobb versus Yoshihashi, Chase Owens against Tamatonga, and Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Hiroki Goto, and obviously the B block shows unaffected by this Naito news. So that is what we're gonna be chatting about the next couple of days. Raw viewers from Monday night, they were up a bit going against um, a lesser-watched Monday night football game, but one that still did over 11 million viewers. And they finished with 1,793,000, sixth for the night on cable. And they were up 14% in the demo with a .49. And the .49 is going to be the number that everyone is going to be looking at when the Dynamite numbers come out tomorrow. And do you think that the buzz will lift Dynamite uh, above a 049 Last week, doing a .44 at the Prudential Center.
0: I think the answer is yes. At the same time, I don't think it's necessarily a metric I put um, so much weight on. You know, it's, it's, it's different levels of competition that they're experiencing both nights. But, I, I mean, what you do kind of take away from it is the fact that, I mean, AEW in its short existence is able to do ratings this high. Um, you know, obviously with a very stacked card uh, as usual, but I, I don't necessarily like making these sort of direct comparisons just because they happen in the same week.
1: Well, Raw as well on Monday uh, in Canada, they did 184,000 viewers, uh, probably hit by the coverage of the federal election. And then Tuesday night, NXT 2.0 um, in the US held a. I thought pretty well. 746,000 viewers and a point two in the demo. So they were down 3% in viewers, which for all the hype for last week's show and the wedding and the title, the, the title match being built up for a follow up, I would be very happy with that number. The demo was only down five and a half percent in Canada though. Uh, and I don't have a great explanation for this. It just got killed in Canada down to 45,600 viewers. Uh, that's down from last week where they did, uh, 92,500, so pretty much in half was the audience this week in Canada. Uh, They were against the Blue Jays, but they always have baseball competition,
0: so I don't have a great explanation for that. Did you get to watch uh, Tuesday's NXT? I did, I did. I mean, last week's edition I caught more so in highlight form, so this was really my first experience with NXT 2.0, and I think, you know what, looking at the roster, maybe a lot of people's first full experience with like a brand new roster. This felt totally different from the NXT of old. You know, uh, as Tommaso Ciampa calls it, the A show. The, uh, he can he can feel that way. Sure, he should feel that way. He's the he's the champion. But this was a show where we were pretty much introduced to all the people that you usually do not see uh, in the performance center who who have been training. And you know what? Like, I know it's very different. It's not the Super India Bowl. It's not the takeover. I think we all fondly remember, but. Uh, taking it for what it is, and that's a show for developing talent. I actually really enjoyed it. Like I thought it was fun seeing all these people get their first shot on national TV with their brand new characters for the first time, speaking in front of a camera. Um, and I thought, like, it, it, to me, it was just like, like it was, it was fresh in that aspect, and and like the ability to to just kind of to to sense that for all of these people, this was a very important show, and it almost felt like an independent kind of like school assembly like play that everybody was was working on
1: i i Dude, enjoyed it i had such a similar reaction both weeks that this felt like a like if we had watched a reality show on all these people about wrestling and at the end they had to put on a show mm-hmm. like it feels there's some very heavy camp I, like i compared in my update today to elements of like the like mid 80s jim jim crockett promotions where it was just quick short squash matches and promos mixed with like elements of glow where it's these some totally over the top characters like everyone has a character to them everybody is either you know there it's a heavy percentage of athletic backgrounds that we're seeing here do you think that it is it is successful in the sense of getting all these characters introduced out of the gate or do you think it's it's too much because both weeks like there are a lot of new acts that are being thrown out there it was less so this week but combined with week one that's it's a lot of new names and faces
0: i think it's a very tough task to try to introduce an audience to a brand new roster of like 20 different people you know and that's really difficult uh, at least in the second week to accomplish and I don't really think that's necessarily the goal. I think the goal is to get people at least started and hopefully in a month in two months time you get to be familiar with everybody. I think the goal with the, at least these first couple episodes is that you at least remember one or two names. I certainly think that they've accomplished that with Braun Breaker. I fucking hate Peace. that name. I feel so bad. He he's the I guy. He
1: is the guy on the show. Like he is so clearly the one that they are building things around and I I think for a for a guy that I mean the name seems to have been the biggest hang up with people but for someone who had his first pro match last October. He's been doing this less than a year. Uh, I think he is he is very good for the level that he is at. Um I just it it is so bizarre to be watching this guy just the way the singlet that he's given, he's literally doing the Steiner recliner, and they can't say it
0: yeah I, I who knows what the idea is behind it like i i I don't know there's some weird philosophy that I guess they have that where they don't want to directly draw the the line but if you know, and don't you know. give him the recliner. It's like you're almost begging
1: for it by you make Beth have to. It's a recliner. It just at sounds least, so disconnected. If,
0: if you're going to be coy about it, at least like call it the breaker recliner or something. You know, give him the Frankenbreaker or something like that. Like I just uh, the thing is, is the, this guy is getting over like even on the internet because of his similarities to his to his lineage, and and that especially came across the moment this man opened his mouth. You know the internet was a buzz talking about how much this guy sounds, you know like his dad and like his uncle uh and for that level of experience, I was actually really impressed by his comfort level on the microphone and in the ring, and clearly, they are too because they are immediately pushing him towards the title picture, Tommaso Champa,
1: yeah, I think so. I think this guy's gonna be rushed there. I'm looking at this guy as I just hope he's not rushed to the main roster too soon, like he. He needs time to develop. Like he's in the spot he should be, but you know there is a lot to this whole revamp, and part of it is kind of the the endorsement of this system will be quickly funneling people up to the main roster. That's the sole function. This is not about career talent that is going to stay here. It is about well, we're, we're going to see over time what the roles of your Chompas and Kyle O'Reillys and such are. But you know you're looking at your Ridge Hollins and Braun Breakers, and I will say the. Um Lash Legend that they introduced on Tuesday night. This is uh, a <laughs> these and, names. I'm sorry. I know like, it's oh. it, this is uh, <laughs> Unreal Howard who is 24 years old and she is one of the biggest like athletic prospects that they have signed. She played in the WNBA and what was interesting is that she is debuting next week. And you would think that okay, high level athlete, you would assume like she probably you would hope takes to the physical side, they are giving her an interview segment to host. And that tells me they are very confident in her being able to carry that. And the personality side, which if they have that confidence in her to give her this segment, um, coupled with the athletic background to, to me, she is the one to
0: watch here. Like, I think I have very high expectations for her and I think they do as well. It's for reasons like that of like, you know, seeing, the real life consequence of of you know this person that they just signed off of this thing performing on TV for the first time with on live TV with no no tightrope yep. that makes the show actually really interesting to me. It's not going to be the show where you'll watch and expect you know a five star classic, but I think it's enjoyable in a different way. Um, I also was interested in them pushing Dante Chen, uh, somebody that they promoted very heavily as their first Singaporean born star. And just even even doing a quick Google search on the guy. I mean, I feel like already paying dividends in terms of coverage on uh, in Southeast Asia. He's um, he's gotten like a lot of of like print media uh, mm-hmm. that has covered him because of that. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, in ring, like we didn't really get to see a whole lot. Um, he's so. pretty green, even in the minute that we, we saw him in. But
1: they are like outside of like the cruiserweight title match in the main event. Like we're talking two to three minute matches.
0: They are keeping these very short. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it is what it is, but, it, it, like, we have to look at the, these shows not necessarily as vehicles, again, for these five-star classics. They are vehicles to, for business for the WWE. This is know? the
1: last segment of Saturday Night Live where they throw something out there, and it's, the, like, the last sketch of the night, and we see if something's going to get over, and they they bring those characters back. Like, that's what mm. the show is... Somewhat becoming. I want to get your thoughts on a few of the characters that they're introducing. I really enjoy the former Harlem Bravado as Andre Chase, who they're giving like a Bobby Knight character to. Uh, I really enjoyed the segment where he just uh, is teaching and almost doing like a Dean Douglas breaking down how Odyssey Jones failed and then being asked, didn't you lose in the tournament? Who the fuck did you ever beat? lot of swearing on this show too that they are introducing here but i i thought he played this character very well i didn't think he got over too well at the wedding segment last week uh but this week they they put more of a focus on him and i i like the character this week
0: I, I i liked it too i i guess i just kind of question it because of its similarities to the tommaso champa or sorry the the timothy thatcher gimmick you know um it, it, i think this guy's going to be much more animated and playing it up I suppose the whole like, you know, like teaching in front of a class thing felt felt a little too close in a short amount of time. But um, I'm, I'm sure there's there's talent and I, I hope that they're able to separate it a little bit in the future.
1: How about uh, Joe Gacy, woke social justice warrior, who, of course, uh, is a heel
0: yeah yeah uh i found it very interesting and i'm actually surprised it took wwe this long to i mean daniel bryan as suppose, if you want to kind of consider you know a left leading heel but this one yeah, I think, a guy against uh pollution has yeah. to be a heel yes but you know this one definitely a lot more on the political uh spectrum of things and <laughs> and definitely kind of hitting those notes a little bit harder and i actually i enjoyed it like for, for he, played, he
1: played it well i think yeah. like it's it's think, um you you really need a presence to to pull this role off. I thought he he did do that. Maybe maybe he will do a bit next month where he will explain. I was invited to go to Saudi Arabia for a <laughs> for a spot and yeah. I have turned it down. I will not work these shot. Saudi
0: Arabia shows. Yeah, he gets like a WWE championship match against Roman Reigns and he turned it down. <laughs> cause of his morals. No, it's I don't think they're going to hit it quite that hard. And and, and at no point at least during, throughout the segment yesterday did I really find it off-putting. I think everything kind of deserves, you know, uh, uh, to in pro wrestling, uh, a lot of things in real life deserve us putting that microscope on it to to see if it could be lampooned. And as long as I think he can startle that line to not offend um and really just maybe poke fun in a, in a I don't know lighthearted way, like I see no problem with it.
1: And uh, another element was how they rolled out pretty much everything for next week. We're getting three title matches. They're doing the delayed match between Raquel Gonzalez and Frankie Monet. Io Shirai and Zoe Stark against Gigi Dolan and JC Jane for the women's tag titles. Roderick Strong against Grayson Waller for the Cruiserweight title after Strong beat Kushida for the title. A no-DQ match between B-Fab and Electra Lopez, which would suggest that that match has to go at least some amount of time, which is going to be ambitious for those two. And then the debut of Lashing Out with Lash
0: Legend. Oh, God. So, so what is the taping schedule for these? Do you know, John? Like, I mean, they're doing them each Tuesday. They're all live. All of them. Uh, that's my understanding, yes. Wow, okay. Because, um... Yeah, that's a whole different ballgame, especially for some of these people with like, you know, like different levels of entering experience. So maybe I mean in, in some in some ways it, it kinda adds a bit of extra intrigue to me, but on paper, like these aren't shows that are going to really excite anybody because nobody really knows who these people are. So I am actually, you know, surprised to see the the rating hold up and uh we'll see what, how it does next week.
1: My final point, my favorite, my favorite
0: interaction
1: Apparently now Trey Baxter and Cora Jade are an item. And I was able to determine this because after Trey Baxter's one minute loss to Dante Chen, uh, he was in the back and Cora Jade came to a very down and depressed Trey Baxter and said, which I'm sure all couples have this exact verbiage between them. How long have we been together? Cheer up. Dante looked like a superhero out there. And as she walked away, Baxter reflected, superhero. Hmm. (laughs) So I think we are about to get
0: Trey almost a superhero. Oh, of course. Clearly, this is the every superhero origin. Ash Baxter,
1: maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Which to me, I gave way too much thought to all of this. But to me, and I've only watched this one little interaction Would it have not had more legs to it if, if we presented Trey Baxter as like having a thing for Cora Jade and she wishes him luck before the match, then he loses. We have the same interaction, but they are not together yet. And in order to win her over, because she notes what a superhero that Dante is, that he tries to win her heart by becoming a superhero. Instead, they're already together. Man, that's some notebook... i I gave way too much thought to cora jade and trey baxter but i feel this is so uh baxter backwards Mm. this story
0: yeah i mean they could do it that way i mean i I imagine you might see further development with this storyline where maybe they'll they'll tell us a breakup story in order to get to that they will they wanted to start them off already as a couple i i don't know i'm sure we'll wait to see you know. We we do await.
1: All right. Those are our thoughts on NXT 2.0. You can go download Up Next with Braden and Davey, who are at Arthur Ashe Stadium tonight. I know quite a few people that were at the show tonight.
0: MJ is there. Sino's there. Uh, Brian Mann is there. Ahmad Butt is there. A whole lot of our, our friends are there. So I hope they're having a great time. All right. We're going to move
1: on over to Dynamite. Grand Slam, the largest attendance in AEW history. Uh, The the attendance that they announced on television was 20,177. And we know that this was the largest non-WWE event in the U.S. going back to 1999 with WCW at the Georgia Dome. That's
0: quite the stack. Wow.
1: Huge, huge event for AEW's history and... I mean, what can you say about this crowd other than it went live and it was, like, this sustained roar? It
0: was insane to hear these 20,000 people. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And not just 20,000 people, like, that Um, kind of like wrestling. These are 20,000 people that love wrestling. Like, in order to – I mean – AEW definitely is becoming a lot more mainstream than I think, you know, we expected up until this point, but still in order to like know about this company, in order to decide to go and buy a ticket for it, you have probably you're probably a, a long-time fan of this thing. And to hear here all those people contained in this like 20,000 seat arena is was really incredible.
1: So then we have Brian Danielson's theme hit and he comes out, and this place, there was like a delay of two seconds before they put together what they were starting with. And I thought that this was like the perfect placement for this match, given what they were doing. And knowing that 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 opening quarter, number one, it's it's a quarter that typically does exceptionally well for AEW. And number two, you have the most leeway to avoid multiple commercial interruptions. They had one here, but this was, you know, as... As clean a 30-minute television presentation
0: as you could deliver in this with one picture-in-picture. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, I think we have to continue to think about television shows in a different way from your traditional professional wrestling card, whether watching live or on pay-per-view. TV is very different. And let's not forget the aim of this is to try to get AEW their biggest rating that they've ever had for a Dynamite. I think they stand the best chance of that by putting this up front uh, and with the other benefit of, you know, uh, a long match that, um, you know, for people who complained about getting no Kaze Ninare the, the other week. This was certainly not going to be subjected to, you know, the the restrictions of, of a show that might might have gone long otherwise. So I would have loved to have known what the conversation was like between
1: Kenny and Danielson earlier in the day because everyone has brought up like their one singles match. It took place in April of 2009 at uh, PWG at their 100 show, but I wonder if the two were also saying, "Hey, remember that time you and I had a triple threat match at the Markham Fair in Markham, Ontario, back in November of two thousand eight. Oh yeah, who was the other guy in the match with us it was uh it was Tyler Black wow, that was oh, wow, that was them wow Markham, Ontario dude which I am 99% sure I did not go to this show. I have no idea why I didn't, but they came back to the Markham fair a couple of months later. Markham was a big city for them. And it was at that show that Danielson and Tyler Black took on Richards and Eddie Edwards. And that was a show I remember specifically interviewing Danielson before the show. Hmm. Um, That one I went to and Kenny Omega was on that card. This is crazy to look back. It was Kenny Omega Kevin Steen, and El Generico Dos, against, uh, which was player Dos, uh, against Austin Aries, Kenny King, and Rhett Titus.
0: It's, it's kind of fun going back and looking at some of these cards and seeing where people are now. Uh, but there
1: you go. They shared a ring
0: together in November of 2008 in Markham, Ontario. And then maybe they shared some um, bubble tea or something in Pacific Mall afterwards or chug some cans of coke complimentary. Uh oh yeah, the Chinese
1: restaurant in Markham, yes. <laughs> I tied it all together for you, very nice. So Danielson comes out, he is billed the American Dragon, Brian Danielson and what a reaction for him. The
0: atmosphere was unbelievable for just the two walking out. And when this, this belt, it was very surreal to me. Like I mean, it was one thing seeing Bron- like Brian Danielson come out in like, I don't know, pants and a white t-shirt. It's another seeing him come out in his like, you know, signature maroon trunks. Like this is when it really sank in for me that like, oh, I was seeing one of this show's main characters on this show now. Uh and these are like feelings that I I haven't had. I mean, you know, you have it with Punk, of course. You have it here, but these are feelings I never had since like um like The Monday Night Wars. You know, seeing one major character from one show jump to another exactly look, looking exactly the same.
1: Yeah, it was, um, you know, sometimes, you know, we will just describe like an atmosphere. This is one you really do have to see because when the bell rings, this place, it was already like this sustained level. And then it went to another level when the bell rung and they just stood there and Danielson had the biggest smile on his face and they just took this in and it grew and grew. It was a sustained roar that was only... That was only topped by them locking up. And this was the biggest reaction you'd ever see a lockup get. And then booed when there
0: was a breakup in the ropes. These fans just wanted them to touch. Um, there there were definitely, like, big spurts of, you know, the... Uh, You're gonna get your fucking head kicked in chant going here. And I was honestly impressed, like, given how, like non-existent that chant was throughout the WWE and how briefly Brian might have mentioned it in some interviews this week how much people jumped onto that chant and it was not near like I would say even maybe I don't know would you even say 50% capacity at its at its peak but it will be like in the weeks to come no doubt about it
1: yeah um it's it starts and it's just you know they're they're just like going back and forth here and this crowd is just into every little thing and just watching Danielson stomp the elbow. They worked up into chops. I will say, uh, not like surprised at all, but it was just interesting to see the fact that the, the chops all elicited the same woos you would always expect. And, it's not surprising to me I mean
0: at this point the chops are kind of dis I mean we always think of flair and and he's the one who's popularizing them and the the reason why we're we're, we're wooing but it's almost disassociated now it's almost just a natural reaction like it a a, a a you know reflex that you give when you see somebody do a chop
1: yeah and I and I did not think that that was was going to change it was more so just the fact that this is just this is a fresh news story and what and was that if you were performers, would you lean on the chops on a, on a show like this,
0: knowing that I would honestly, like we, we can maybe like, you know, uh, question the man's, uh, decisions, but I, I mean, this is ultimately a wrestling move. Yes. It's one he popularized, but it's also a staple of many professional wrestling matches, uh, and many people's professional wrestling move sets that I, you know, it's, it's, I, I don't think about it too much personally. I doubt the wrestlers are.
1: Probably not um and and I wouldn't even discourage um as well from from going that direction. it was more so just interesting to see how the crowd would react um, Danielson's uh, you know he has noted the fact how easily he, he bruises and such, and my God, his chest was just a <laughs> a shade of red that
0: will look for, it will make for an amazing
1: Instagram post
0: if he decides to take it, yeah it yeah it looked like a terrible rash.
1: Uh, He lands a Tope Suicida to Omega. And then the uh, elbow is sent into the post as Excalibur, who was fantastic in this match, is breaking down the LaBelle lock, which was taught to him by Neil Melanson. This was when Brian was living in Vegas and training at Extreme Couture and handed down by Gene LaBelle and the focus being the shoulder. But Omega would take over. Omega was, I thought, just the most incredible, like, heel champion that was above this guy. How he's going to come into my company and think he can hang with me? I am the top guy, and he was—he was just at such an elite level. Pardon the pun. Uh, just he was excellent in this match. Uh, the crowd is doing the yes chance, and then Brian busts out a top rope hurricane rana. There's a terminator dive, and after a series of roll ups, Brian Danielson applies cattle mutilation, and every eighteen to forty nine year old male was just. Clutching their heart. Yeah. Benno is still unconscious from this spot.
0: (laughs) I'm like almost shocked that like he never pulled this thing out. I mean, if he has like during, during his WWE run and I forget then please forgive me. But what would they have named it? It doesn't matter. You, uh, the, the yes, uh, clutch, I don't know, whatever, like something goofy like that. But the fact that he like has held off on using this move regularly for such a long time, only to bring it out right now for the hardcore audience who remembers that ROH run or like his his independent run, it was wonderful. It was just a sign that said like, "I'm back, everybody."
1: So, during the post the post match scrum that he did at All Out, part of Brian's uh, decision making came down to the fact that you know he loved WWE, but at times they they overprotected me. And I want to go out there and I need some risk in my life. So this dude took a snap dragon on the ramp. Now, this is the one move in this match I could have done without. It was just, I, I understand, but this is the same guy that when he came back that one time told Brody Lee to just give me like a half Nelson onto my neck to test it out like there is a uh, this there's a precedent for concern very much so and i would also argue the fact that the immediate follow-up was that running v trigger down the ramp that elicited as equal if not louder a reaction that i just i don't want
0: to see this guy not get up from a snapdragon off of a ramp so i i personally feel like they're i mean it's the sign of like good professional wrestling when something looks dangerous, but it might not be. And I I'm not a pro wrestler, never taken a snapdragon in my life, and I don't plan to. But I have a feeling this is one of those moves that probably does not he does not feel one bit, you know. But it was something he he probably feels no different than just doing a backwards roll really fast. I hope that's the case. But but you're not wrong to be concerned. You know, in interviews, Brian has said uh, audiences might be my newer audiences might be surprised at how violent this match is, or how violent my new style is going to be, and um, I have a feeling he's going to want to compete with like the likes of you know like a John Moxley doing crazy shit or like you know Kenny Omega doing crazy shit, and and I and I I have those concerns too, um, uh, but I don't I don't think this this instance was was that.
1: They have to go to a picture-in-picture. This is after 17 minutes of the match. And Danielson, I mean, he does sell the hell out of this. Throughout the break, um, there's a buckle bomb spot that more so landed uh, towards the ropes. And then Omega goes for an avalanche snapdragon. Which, if you can say anything about the ramp spot, has put the audience into a place where they can buy that Danielson might take this. Because he's out of his mind. But he... Slides out and hits a belly to back off of the top. He's favoring his right arm that he lands on from the suplex. We go into near falls. The audience is electric and they break out into an AEW chant, which is becoming the norm when things hit a big level. It is AEW chants. And that was not something that was something that kind of has organically grown over the past month or so during this, this new era of the company is these chants.
0: I think they're very close to, turning it into a Tony Khan Tony Khan Tony's gonna kick your fucking head in (laughs) like yeah no I mean this is this is a company that has built tremendous goodwill with its audience I mean throughout its entire duration but especially over the past several months so yeah no it's to be expected
1: Kenny does go for the snapdragon off the top hits it but in a way where Danielson rotates to land on his chest this gave me
0: some comfort You listen, I mean, it's like, you know, on the one hand, we we might sound like, you know, like his parents, you know, or Vince McMahon being overly protective of the guy. But we all know, like his history with concussions, one bad concussion in this man's career, I think, you know, changes a whole lot. So uh, I think we, we have a right to be overprotective parents.
1: So he goes for another V trigger. One Winged Angel gets countered with a Brian Danielson Poison Rana, uh, and Danielson is kind of scraped up on the forehead here. He fires up with these awesome kicks. Busaiku Knee is stopped with a power bomb. More Big Near Falls. Omega misses a Phoenix Splash. That Excalibur instantly recalls to the last time he tried this was the Lights Out match with John Moxley two years ago. The Label Lock is stopped and. The final minute, we hit the 29 minute mark. Justin Roberts clearly gets onto the house mic uh, for all of us to hear the time, but you can't hear him. And it's pretty clear that the audience did not hear him either. Excalibur is giving the update on the time, which they had announced was a 30 minute time limit. And they are just on their knees swinging. And suddenly the bell rings at 30 minutes and my only thing was like man this crowd like just they're they're upset because the match is over not in like a negative sense but I think if you had if they had been able to hear the one minute remaining it would have number one that was the intention I just think it would have um been more of a dramatic end in the sense of them like almost counting down and such but I mean what what an unbelievable match uh you could put this right along I think Some of the best matches in AEW history, and I would say in Dynamite
0: history, this is probably going to be people's number one. Yeah, it's so hard for me to like remember some of the others at the moment, but I mean, a lot of the ones I think in recent you know memory took place during the pandemic era. So outside of the pandemic era, absolutely, this is going to get more remembered because of
1: Danielson, because of the crowd, like that. Is going to put this one over the top, I think, for a lot of people when they are thinking. But it's, um, I, I thought it was just an incredible, incredible match.
0: I, I I'm, I'm totally with you. I, I, am also with you about the, you know, the, the countdown thing. You know, I, I, I think the drama could have been heightened with a bit more attention called to the counting down. I mm-hmm. think it was, it must have been to them like a, a, a philosophical decision to not do the count, like you know, New Japan might, like in New Japan, like the guy actually like would say like we we'll, we'll get the you updates every, every five minutes, one minute, and then like 30 seconds and then like 15 seconds and then 10, 9, 8, 7 blah, blah, blah. I think that would have added a whole lot here. I um, do too. But you know, maybe it was their creative decision to like not do it. And, and,
1: well, I think they, they it. wanted Justin Roberts to announce it. It's just, I think there was a problem with
0: like the audio that it didn't come out. Like it just sounded muffled when he but, got on there, but he didn't even, I only heard like 30 seconds or like maybe, or maybe it was like one minute. I don't know. One but minute. Not, I didn't hear any any attempts at, at, at updating it throughout, and, and that's when I think like you you really have to ramp up the the call towards the end. But how can you really complain so much about this match? Like you can't. I just I just felt bad that like this actually led to
1: booze at the end. But it was, yeah, again, it was it's
0: a natural reaction. People weren't booing the quality of the match; they're booing the fact that it was over. It was over, but, and they wanted more, which is the desired reaction. That's the whole
1: point of this match: is that you want to see the extended match and Mm -hmm. get
0: to its conclusion so this this accomplished its goal and then some completely you got every bit of the dream match that i think people wanted um you knew this was going to go to a rematch anyway everybody this was not for the title like and, and whatever happened here you were going to get a rematch and keeping it inconclusive enough you know just like uh shiri and hayashi shita you like you know built a rematch just like that very easily it was 30 minutes of magic and the match itself was like actually quite basic you know every other both both guys work on each other's body parts but it was the star power of the two and the chemistry between the two that was what made it Um, And this crowd and this atmosphere were just amazing. You know, Brian uh, did in an interview talk about uh, maybe an enhanced level of aggression and violence. I noticed a bit of added aggression. But to be quite honest, I think towards the end of his WWE run, he was already showing a bit of that. So I can't really say that I noticed too much of a drastic different style from Brian Danielson here compared to his WWE self. I I thought this was a a much more like dangerous match in terms of
1: just certain elements uh, of it that, I mean, Brian, like you could see that certainly with some of like the Roman matches that they were, I think you were seeing elements of this, but this, I I don't know, this to me did feel like you were very much removed from like your, your restrictions that you would have in WWE.
0: You know, in, in, in terms of maybe some of the spots he took from Kenny, yeah, maybe I would agree with that. And, of course, we've got the return of the cattle mutilation. Um, but I also feel like this is a Brian that is fresh off of 10-plus years, or how long, how long was he in the WWE? 10 years? It's 20, 20, uh, 2009 with the, the brief okay. uh, tie firing. <laughs> right, that's right. 10-plus years in the WWE. I think we are going to get a better Brian Danielson in the weeks and months to come as he gets you know, more accustomed to like modern guys like a Daniel Garcia or Darby Allen. And so whenever they plan on doing this rematch, I I actually think they'll do, they'll probably have a better match than this.
1: This was pretty, to come out and do a hard 30 with Kenny Omega at this level. Uh, this was, this was exceptional. And I would be very interested to hear uh, his thoughts about this experience because I go back to that interview he did a few months ago. And forgive me, I forget uh, where he had stated. This was, when he went out for WrestleMania this year, he's in the main event and he felt nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I would be very curious to see what this experience was like, because I imagine it was, uh, it did not seem like this guy was walking out and not feeling anything.
0: He mentioned he was nervous for this, like, you know, more so than anything in his post retirement run. So um, I, I, I hope he has plenty more of these experiences to come.
1: The super click is out. This is when Brian is going for the label lock and the super click runs out. They're helping Kenny and Excalibur explains that Danielson would have won with one more minute to go. Almost makes you wonder if they knew that the time was ending when, when it did. That's
0: the other thing too. I felt like usually like in these cases, I think the announcers would have like filled in the audience a little bit more. And I mean, when I, I heard the Excalibur line, I was like, well, maybe
1: they were working towards the, the LaBelle lock spot and mm. Because that was the story, if he had one more minute. And the way it ended was they're just on their knees trading strikes. Yeah, yeah. So Cole and the Bucks are out. They triple superkick Danielson. And then Christian and Jurassic Express run out. And it's just a... They clear the ring. And they plug. That coming up next is CM Punk's interview, which was the perfect thing to follow this. You do not want to throw a match in there. That said... I think AEW breaks a lot of the conventions we have, that if there was a match to follow this, I'm, I'm not thinking that it's it was going to die. Nothing was going to die on this show.
0: Yeah, I, I noticed – I felt this was actually one of the more interesting aspects of this show, the fact that they took their two biggest stars and put them in back-to-back segments off the t- top of the show. Conventional wisdom would tell a promoter to space out these big segments throughout the show, but – you know, this is the same type of guy who who put a Brian Danielson debut right after an Adam Cole debut and left people talking about that being the best close to a pay-per-view of all time. Um, I, I'm i very interested to see what the, the graphs are going to look like coming out of the viewership for, for this one. You know, we know the show will probably have peaked with the opening um, and probably until Punk as well. But how high is that ceiling? Because you're throwing everything in there in this first 45 minutes. And how will it affect the overall average? And how many of these people who watched, who tuned in for uh, Kenny Omega, Brian Danielson, and CM Punk stuck around for the rest of the show? And and if you see a solid level of retention,
1: I think you have to look at like the atmosphere and this crowd. And if you hook them for, you know, once this Punk interview was done, we're talking 40 minutes into this show, mm-hmm. I, I think you're kind of setting your ways. It's like, man, I'm a... I'm attached to my couch here. I think I'm gonna watch the rest of this thing. And it's a it's a super hot crowd. I'm like this was this was a
0: happening as Gorilla Monsoon would say. You probably like cracked open a can of Coke somewhere during the punk thing. <laughs> Pepsi actually. And uh you you gotta finish your soda, so you're probably sticking around. But it's um it's you know, like so much of this is about building habits, right? Building habits for new viewers to tune in at this time and to stick around for the entire thing, not just casually flipping in for a match and then tuning out. So well, I, I'm very interested to see, to see what the ratings are like.
1: My final point on the match is it did really make me lament this past weekend, those two G1 main events and the atmosphere that was missing that I think would have they would have had very much so for those two matches on on both nights that they're limited in how the audience can engage with them. But when you think about... I mean, even... I mean, it was a much smaller crowd. We're talking like 2,000 people for those shows. But nonetheless, it's it's something that um, I think in a perfect scenario, those matches would have had unbelievable reactions to.
0: It's hard for, you know, um, wrestling promotions in pandemic-stricken um, countries, or at least countries that, I don't know, still enforce like these types of rules to, to compete with, with the on-air product. But, I mean... You're going to have a Hiroshi Tanahashi Kazuchika Okada match at some point in the next few years, I would imagine. You might see a Brian Danielson Hiroshi Tanahashi match maybe, at some point. Maybe. Maybe. You know, did you find it interesting? Because, like, uh, forgive me, because, uh, like, he did two interviews, and one of them, I believe, was with Barstool. There was a, yeah, where he was asked about Zack Sabre Jr. And he mentioned
1: he wants to his the story
0: is going after Zack Sabre, Jr., who has taken over his Wrestling Observer Award. Yeah. So he said he wanted to wrestle Zack Sabre, Jr. in England. And I mean, I know AEW has plans to run England and they have the relationship with New Japan Pro Wrestling. But like he was very, very specific about it. Does it make you wonder what the terms and parameters of his current contract are um, beyond New Japan even?
1: Uh, For Danielson. Yeah, I I would imagine like it seems like he I, I would think like he has a similar deal to like a Moxley.
0: Right. So he could do a GCW if he wanted to. He could do a New Japan. And I wonder what else?
1: Well, the question mark is yet U.S. Um, like what what his flexibility is in the U.S. But I mean, he has mentioned the fact that not just Japan, but Mexico. Like I, I'm imagining he has the ability to do all of that stuff. Uh, with Zach though, I like there's nothing preventing them from doing that in AEW. So I, I that's the stage I think you would want to do it on.
0: Yeah, I guess it would just be New Japan themselves because like I feel like we've only seen New Japan pair up like guys that New Japan already employs or did recently employ, like in an, an Archer or a or John Moxley. Like does that that has not extended to you know New Japan pairing one of their guys with a Kenny Omega? Well, actually, you know what, the Kenta match. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are no limitations. CM Punk walks out and just says, how could you follow that?
1: I'm glad I'm not wrestling on Dynamite. Though I will be wrestling in about two hours. He says, it's been a long time since I've been in New York City and a long time since pro
0: wrestling has been in New York City. Like, just a jab. A very uh, different, like, a world of difference between Punk and Bryan in the way that, that they've handled their uh, post-WWE exits. Dude, you should just look at Punk's Twitter. Like, this is a different
1: human being.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. This guy is so happy.
1: He's back. My goodness. He's been told he needs to be mad and pissed off. They want the old CM Punk. Well, eventually you'll see him. But be careful what you wish for. What do I have to be mad about? And he brings up being tricked and jumped last week. They tried to put me through a table. But he can't help it. When he walks out here and hears this, this reaction... And here's the reception from everyone. The pissed off feeling goes away. And Hobbs and Taz and Hook, they tried to take this away from me. And he says that it's been so long since I had this. And it's been so long. I needed this. No one will take it away from me. This is mine once again. They should have finished the job. They made a mistake keeping me alive. And they slept on the legend of CM Punk. It's not my job to wake them up. But it is my job to tuck their ass in. Rampage Friday, Hobbs goes to sleep. Just an awesome, awesome babyface
0: promo to send you to Friday. It absolutely achieved its job of telling you, yes, uh, this Friday at 10 p.m. on AEW Rampage, CM Punk will be wrestling a guy named Powerhouse Hobbs. And that made the segment uh, completely, I think, successful. I can't really say this was a great promo because like i feel the delivery was spectacular it was a plus but i kind of feel like he came out here and kind of spoke in circles i'm supposed to be pissed off but i'm not pissed off but then i got i i'm pissed off again when when i think about these guys but then i'm how can i not really not be i'm not that pissed off but i am pissed off like he kind of went back and forth a few times but you know that's sort of the nature of improvised promos which this uh, i think very much was one um, and in the end, again, it didn't really matter because it, it achieved its objective. It got this crowd going crazy. And the delivery was spectacular.
1: I just thought, you know, it was, the explanation was I'm I'm so happy to be back here. And these these fuckers tried to murder me and
0: end my life by See, putting that, me through this table. That would be great if he just like gave you a direct line of thought process like that. But it was kind of a bit more back and forth. Well, uh, in the end, it was just, uh, I-, I thought,
1: like, a strong promo to send you into Friday and get people excited. And then he hugs Stephen Amell in the front row.
0: His heels co-star.
1: Yes. MJF with Wardlow versus Brian Pillman Jr. with Julia Hart, who was uh, not even born when WCW ran the Georgia Dome in July of 1999.
0: That was, she was negative two. In her lifetime, this is the biggest non-WWE live show. biggest one of all time, yes, in her life.
1: Pillman attacks MJF, taking him down, and MJF is just screaming at Pillman and then gets slapped in the face and then starts begging off. This is where they did bring up the agreement with AEW and the Owen Hart Foundation that Jim Ross said made him tear up when he heard about. There's an arm wringer that sends Pillman's shoulder into the mat. MJF works on the arm, all break long. We come back, Pillman catches him with a power slam, and then MJF rolls to the floor and uses Julia Hart as a shield to uh, prevent Pillman from diving onto him, and he lays out Pillman with a clothesline on the floor, and MJF puts his hands on Julia Hart, but Pillman drop kicks him through the ropes. The crowd gets into Pillman. They're chanting for him, and he goes for the springboard but gets caught in midair into the salt of the earth,
0: and Brian Pillman Jr. taps out. You know, the crowd reacted really well to this because they're a very supportive crowd. Um, But these two had, uh, I think, really the toughest spot on the show, following Kenny, following Brian, and following Punk. Um, I think Brian Pillman Jr.'s old-school style is a lot of fun to watch, particularly in tag team matches. But I don't really think the 80s style with, like, you know, kind of your, like, almost, like, fun, but almost, like, almost, like, cartoonish type of baby face. I don't think it really worked in this spot. He didn't
1: channel enough aggression for the level of grudge match this was supposed to be. Like once MJF laid down the gauntlet with the methany promo, mm-hmm. like this becomes like a blood feud. And to me Pillman just he never got to that level. Like you could see the mechanics working, like this is what I'm supposed to be doing now. It just to me it it's just it wasn't natural enough and displayed that kind of aggressiveness that it needed to reach. I think to to be at the level that that promo warranted this this
0: match to be and Pillman's response. And, and I also feel like I mean I was pretty critical of like you know how hard MJF went uh, on Brian yep. Pillman and his family and I I think we were all you know maybe somewhat waiting to see what this match would be but in order to fully assess whether or not that needed to be so harsh i i think at the very least we were expecting a big near fall from brian pillman jr here to really kind of like i don't know like screw mjf in some way embarrass mjf in some way i don't really feel like we got that you know this was a bit of a straightforward mjf win on a guy that is far lower than him in 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 terms of rank so man with mjf having gone so hard on his mother and his family like i i would have made Brian Pillman looks stronger in Cincinnati, not just against Max caster but against m j f in his own hometown, but you know nonetheless it's like these two are so young they're going to like th- they're going to get chance after chance after chance, and this is already like you know a, a time to get a big spotlight but did I come out of the show really kind of thinking about really either of these two in particular Brian Pillman jr not that much
1: yeah, I mean this was the the thing you load up a card like this it's very competitive for you know those Those minutes and what's going to stick with people. Um, Yeah, this was they they were in a a tough spot. I would say the match was was fine, but it was I I don't know if Brian Pillman Jr. is that I think he really was was benefited by the Moxley endorsement in Cincinnati and how they handled that rampage with him. Um, But we'll see what the follow up is, because this kind of does beg for something with Pillman Jr. After this
0: with MJF, you mean or no?
1: I just think in general, like he has to sell this loss in some way. I don't want to see it just dropped and that you came up short here. I mean, if this spins him off into something or changes his character in some way, I think that that could be at least a path that there's a reason for this loss and then moving from it. It's I and I conversely, I I wouldn't want to see him beat MJF either at this time. Yeah, because yeah. I think that's a, that's a larger uh, picture for MJF that you'd be, you know, just
0: screwing with we can see him cost him a win or a cost him a loss you know but maybe that's not the time, right time either marvez interviews chris jericho and jake hager
1: and they are going to spank ethan page and scorpio sky and they're really trying to get over fat face dipshit yeah 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 and i guess we will see if the crowd chants this at dan lambert or not on rampage which is being taped as we speak actually the match is over
0: fat-faced. I mean, this card will chain anything. They'll sing a whole song without music attached to it.
1: Jericho calls this the hardest-hitting town in America, and we're the hardest-hitting team in AEW, and he threatens to bite off Dan Lambert's nose, and he is ready to snack on some MMA meatheads in the Big Apple. All right. Lights go out, Malachi Black enters, and then... Cody Rhodes makes his return alongside both Arne Anderson and Brandy Rhodes
0: as Cody is in his evil Knievel getup. And Brandy, like in a leotard just months after giving birth. So, I mean, incredibly brave woman. She, she looked great. Yeah. Um. And Rhodes to the top starts next, next week. I think that's a very interesting, like timing considering like the crowd's feelings towards Cody Rhodes. Okay, so that's the whole focus of this match is
1: on the crowd very clearly turning on Cody, but I I think like this this whole match felt designed around that. Like you have Cody before the match even begins, you're hearing the mixed reaction and he is very clearly playing to it. Like he is mouthing okay, it's and this match was all structured around Cody being the being the subtle, if not not so subtle, heel at points.
0: Yeah, I I I think this has been Cody for a long, long time. Like I think he's fully aware that this crowd does not like him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's 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 been the case for all like even before Malachi Black showed up here. But they keep dragging this out. They keep reverting him back to being, I guess, a default babyface. That I'm just curious. Like, are they doing this because of the the reality show? Are they delaying like the full on heel turn? Or are they just like? Because they are kind of teasing it, but they're not really. So I, I don't really exactly know what to think. So it it begins,
1: and Black sends Cody out of, rolling out of the ring, and he does his backflip and just sits down. And they like it's a total babyface spot, and the crowd reacts in kind, and you can just see what is being constructed here. Brandy comes in to sit in front of Black and and give the big fuck you as Cody jumps him. And this just gives the crowd like open season, like boo this man. And they played off of this. Cody comes off the top into a flying knee. They battle through the break. Cody takes a black mass, still nameless and rolls to the ground. And he's selling like he is out cold. Black can't lift him, So he's just going to take the count out. But Cody rolls in before the count of 10 and then chop blocks the, the knee of black. Who misses in the turnbuckle with another knee? And Cody is focusing on the knee, and the crowd boos as Cody continues to work it over. The crossroads gets stopped, and Alistair, Alistair, Malachi Black hits a spinning elbow, and it resulted in this mark on the on Cody's temple that you could see later.
0: It looked like this elbow just hit him flush. It, it was uh, it was his turn. I mean, maybe he'll show up with the uh, face paint all over his face next week there's
1: another crossroads that gets blocked cody cutter is hit and then the crossroads is hit huge kick out by black to the point arn anderson is on the apron assuming the match is done arn then goes to climb around the post and he slips off the apron to the floor causing referee paul turner to be distracted Arn gets up onto the apron and Cody is Irish whipped into Arn, knocking him down a second
0: time. And so So, Cody. So I, I have a feeling Arn wasn't supposed to slip there the first time. (laughs) Like that made no sense because the distraction amounted to nothing. There was no point to do two Arn bumps. It seemed that like he
1: was getting into position and I thought the same, like, did he legit slip and then, knew his spot was coming up and the spot was supposed to be Cody knocking into him in a weird way. Like uh, I'm not criticizing. It's like, you, it's very hard oh. to think on your feet, but it's like the spot was achieved where Arn falls, giving Paul Turner the out to be turning his back and Cody just going into the next sequence where he's capitalizing off of this. But obviously, they needed the physicality
0: with but that wasn't Cody really, hitting Arn. But, but that wasn't the spot they designed. The spot they designed was Arn, uh, Cody, or was it Malachi bumping into Arn, and then Cody going down to check on Arn, which is what you got ultimately.
1: was no, no, no. Wasn't it Cody was was sent into Arn, and Arn, and Cody sure. knocked Arn over. I,
0: yeah, sure, yeah. That that I, I forget who who bumped into Arn, but the the idea was for Cody to go down and check on Arn. To and then
1: keep, Arn keep just the like
0: attention. swats him away. He's like, "Fuck off." well he was like hey, go back to the match don't check on me um but i mean seeing the guy fall twice of course i would have ch- i would have checked on him too uh, Arn, you you you've taken more bumps tonight than you have in the last decade holy shit but i i don't think he was supposed to fall that first time
1: i don't think so either uh because it made no sense for him to fall twice uh so cody is told don't worry about me He starts attacking Malachi and then nails Paul Turner, sending him away. And Black sprays Black Mist into the face of Cody and uses an inside cradle for the win, which is a real clever way if they're trying to keep Malachi Black as this heel. Although I think you're just fighting against the tide at this point. And this crowd was so happy to see Cody lose uh,
0: that they didn't care that Malachi Black had to resort to Black Mist. I'm feeling like they're they're not really trying to like get people to boo Malachi Black. I think they're just going with this because they know he's cool. As long as as long as people like him enough to want to stick around to watch his matches, I don't think Tony Khan cares that much. Um, this was an interesting match to watch in execution because of the weird, very influx heel babyface dynamics with Cody Rhodes, uh, but also with the pretty. Strange finish, I have to say. I thought it kind of fell apart at the end with the... Even if Arn flawlessly glided around the corner from apron to apron and executed, I think I would have still disliked the finish. I hate Malachi Black going from a win as dominant as his first match with Cody in like a minute or two minutes to now having to resort to using mist and an Arn Anderson distraction in order to justifiably beat Cody Rhodes. That I... I wasn't a fan of. I think they've been booking Malachi Black incredibly strong up until this point, point. and I thought this should have also needed this also needed to be a dominant win, um, at least more dominant than maybe Mist would would entail. Well, what's the
1: Mist going to do to Cody now? Is that going to uh, send him into a dark place? Is he blind?
0: It'll turn him into Stardust.
1: Ooh, and into space. Next week in Rochester, they only had one announcement to make, and that was Miro and Sammy Guevara for the TNT Championship. And we got promos from both. Miro has been humiliating Sammy's friends for weeks and acknowledges he did break his neck in the past. God demands pain, and she, his wife, demands pleasure and sometimes pain, too. So next week, it is God's favorite champion versus the Spanish God, and Sammy's going to buy Fuego.
0: A new car. Cool. You think it'll happen? The title uh, switch. Title yeah. Um,
1: it's possible. I don't know if I would do it right now, but Guevara is a perfect candidate. I mean, he would be, you know, on that short list of people that if you're Miro's going to lose to someone,
0: you could do it with Sammy. I thought they were going to do a rematch with with Eddie. Like, didn't it look like they were building towards they that? They definitely cut the promos after all out that certainly suggested they were
1: going in that direction. Yeah. Which they can revisit. It's just a question of when. Yeah, maybe Sammy's better for that spot. FTR against Sting and Darby Allin. Sting was uh, among the biggest reactions on the show, which is saying something given uh, who was preceding him. Yeah. Uh, FTR were in their NWO style trunks. They've gone from the Midnight Express to the NWO
0: as Sting continues to be followed by this group all these years later. Yeah, but like, (laughs) you know, maybe maybe, um, Mike Awesome will show up and interrupt the match. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to tie into this. When you bring up anything old WCW, I just think about that edition of Nitro we just reviewed.
1: Well, Sting is tagged at the start, and FTR is double-teaming him. He makes his comeback, scoop slams. This guy can do no wrong. Stinger Splash misses Cash Wheeler, and they take over in the corner. Darby gets the tag, and he goes for a coffin drop to the floor, and FTR catches him and drives him into the apron. We go through the picture-in-picture. Darby avoids getting his face paint wiped off by Tully, and we get another hot tag for Sting, who (laughs) hits a high cross (laughs) off the top to Dax... He gets his neck snapped on the top rope, but then counters a tombstone and he's setting up for the scorpion death drop as Darby climbs to the top. And we were going to get a, a tandem finish from both of them and cash Wheeler ruined this video game finish. And instead stinger starts hitting splashes. Dax puts a chair in the corner and he nearly jumps into it, but he pulls up and he hits a death drop to cash the splash, uh, Dax ends up running into the chair himself, and then there's a Scorpion Deathlock uh, applied to Dax Harwood. Cash is holding on to Dax's hands from the floor, and Darby comes off the top with a coffin drop that just kills Cash Wheeler on the edge of the apron to break his grip, forcing Dax to submit in nine and a half minutes. All due respect. To Brian Danielson going after his award and Zack Sabre Jr. trying to repeat,
0: but best technical wrestler of the year, Sting. (laughs) Sting, wow. This was awesome. I love this. Sting's run from the hot tag to the finish I thought was fantastic. This guy works so
1: hard in these matches. This guy is... By no means just getting by because who he is. Is oh he, is he uh, Darby Allen? No. But my
0: God, does this guy work so damn hard he's, in these matches? He's not Darby Allen, but Darby Allen is not 62 years old and coming back from a spinal stenosis retirement. Okay. When you consider all of these aspects, like the man should not be doing any Insane. of this stuff.
1: Like we need to come up with a, an award for what this guy is doing. And yeah. name it because I don't know. There's no award that you can attach to
0: this guy, but he's doing something. I feel like you know, like, like he he probably is going to rest for like two months after this and not have a good. To match. He deserves it. Send this guy to Hawaii for
1: a month, all yeah, expenses please. paid by AEW.
0: He rests for like two months in order to get this like two minute spurt. Okay, and he just puts it all into this two minutes, and they are glorious two minutes. He was great, and FTR. Like, I they were fr- fantastic. They they will not get enough credit for this match, but they were
1: terrific. And mm-hmm. I guarantee you these two were on cloud nine getting to bump around for Sting
0: and get to do this match. Completely, completely. They set a beautiful stage for Sting to give these wonderful two minutes. Um, I love the crafting of the, of the chair like that he put in there. You expect Sting to take it with a splash, but instead it's Harwood who takes it. And I mean, Darby is just like this really is a mutually beneficial relationship that he has with sting where darby greatly benefits from i think sting's added star power look at these live reactions that this team gets darby would probably get it on his own but it's heightened that much more and especially from a casual audience just tuning in on tnt with sting being there and sting of course absolutely benefits from darby's just spectacular modern style so this was really wonderful Then
1: the main event, which once you saw what the first match was, I think everyone knew what was going to go on last. And it's Dr. Britt Baker and Ruby Soho for the AEW Women's Championship. They did not resurrect any AWA titles. Jamie Hader and Rebel were out with Baker. And Baker goes to the floor early on. They're checking on her. And Soho comes off with a high cross, taking out Rebel and Hader. But Baker gets out of the way and hits Ruby with a swinging neckbreaker onto the floor. Uh, JR says, this certainly isn't Fabulous Mula and Donna Christianello. And they mention Ruby's double shoulder surgery that she had over the past few years. Baker rolls for the lockjaw, can't apply it. And then eventually Rebel puts the glove on her hand and Baker just gives a middle finger to the camera. She misses with the stomp and Soho twists on the knee of Baker, lands a senton. Baker comes back with a super kick. And then Baker climbs the turnbuckle. She's teasing the Pittsburgh sunrise, but Soho battles her on the turnbuckle, ending with Baker hitting an air raid crash, which played into the shoulders as she landed on them. And we get a near fall for Baker. Ruby is then driven onto the steps between the legs of Baker and Baker just hit the nastiest looking stomp that Ruby just took like, like a shotgun going off. as she goes into the mat and another huge near fall baker starts arguing with aubrey edwards and all of a sudden ruby gets up and hits her kick the no future then hits one to rebel yeah i think it's a probably a sex pistols reference she she takes out rebel with one and then jamie hayter is on the other side of the ring and snaps ruby's neck on the top rope baker has recovered and this
0: allows her to apply lockjaw and ruby taps at 12 minutes and 35 seconds a very good match and a very worthy main event on this stacked edition of Dynamite. Um, Immense pressure for these two, especially, I mean, both of them really equally, but I, I, I feel like for R- Ruby Soho, especially like only having one. I mean, this is his, her first big match in, in Dynamite and the main event, at least on TV, this, incredibly massive show i thought she and Britt baker put on a really really stellar performance uh she i thought ruby looked great you know already she comes across as one of the more seasoned performers on this woman's roster it was really refreshing to me to see the crowd give a heel reaction to Britt baker in a match because that is all due to how much they love ruby soho you have a baby face finally in this match that people like enough to want to see a dethrone Britt baker um and while like the current chase for her towards the title is probably ending, I think the crowd loves her so much that I'm almost positive. There's going to be a title reign for her in the future, but Britt is still really hot right now. And I think the person to dethrone her at the moment is still Thunder Rosa.
1: Yeah. I, I thought they had a really nice match. Um, I thought in particular, once they got to like the-, the closing minutes, I think that's when they, they really hit their stride and the audience was very receptive to the near falls. And I, I like to see the fact that they position them here. I think that's part of your star creation is perception. And some of these big shows putting your women's championship on last like that over time, it establishes this is a main event championship. I mean, we just saw, you know, the, the women's tag titles on raw switch in a two and a half minute match in the middle of the show. And I think that just over time, that same perception can work on the negative. And I, Like the idea of the way they structured this match-wise on top of it. And that was our first two of four hours at Arthur Ashe Stadium. As I'm continually getting notes, the show is still going on as we speak here at uh, 20 to midnight. uh, With that crowd, I'm certain are still up
0: for the show. And let's spoil the whole show right now. It'll be on the website tonight, folks. You can check it out. I'm kidding, everybody. Everybody's just shutting off the podcast. Um,
1: are are yeah. people? Say, uh, let me ask you this question: Are people seriously going to try and avoid these for two days?
0: Yes, these results. I think wow. so. That's, I think so. I personally—that's a commitment. So. Yeah. Wow. I mean, they they managed to do it for previous editions of of Rampage. You know, if you care, you care. If you want to seek it out, you can. Yeah. But I imagine we'll at least get a whole lot of buzz though about like, wow, this match was great, or <laughs> yeah, like I I think you'll probably get a lot of that. But I I think people care enough about these shows to not to want not to have it spoiled for them. It was
1: a tremendous addition of Dynamite. It was a big statement for the company going into New York with this level of crowd. Um, the number is going to be greatly analyzed on Thursday to reflect what the hype was like and interest for this show. Uh, because sometimes, like, great quality doesn't always translate to big number. But this one had exceptional hype behind it that I'm anticipating. I do not think they will hit their record for 18 to 49, that's such a high number that they hit for that first show. But total audience, I think that's that's within striking distance.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's I, I don't even want to venture a guess, but um, I I think this will do really well, and I'm particularly interested in the quarter hours for this one, just to see how you know how the layout of putting Brian Danielson and Kenny Omega and CM Punk out there in the first 45 minutes helped out or affected the rest of the show. So let's head on over to the forum, because I imagine we have
1: some feedback for tonight's event. And we're going to start off with the poll. And tonight way, on a scale of 1 to 10, this show generated an 8.88. Ooh, very lucky. Lo- triple eights? Triple eights. Very lucky. Do you know yesterday, I saw this from Lenny Leonard, actually, that it was the t- at 921, it would have been like the... T- God... The twenty first hour of the twenty first day of the twenty first year of the twenty first century. It was something crazy. Like all twenty ones yesterday.
0: Um I did not know that. Nor do you care. Let's go to the feedback. <laughs> I mean, I'm, sorry. Like, I'm
1: sorry. I'm sorry, way I'm trying to make these conversation. Types of
0: stats are, no, no, it's it's fascinating, but it's like they're so arbitrary. Like it, it's right. a human created thing, and it's not to mention, I mean, in every time zone it's it's happening at a different time. So remember when Bound for Glory took place? On 10, 10, 10. Oh, who could forget that? Yeah.
1: Let's start with Noah from Vaughn. Tonight was definitely a grand slam. The show went by so fast and felt like a huge pay-per-view. Omega and Brian put on my favorite singles match of the year, and yet I still think they can top it in their next encounter. They have set an increasingly high bar for the next one uh, on top of it that you would think, like, no time limit or something to that effect. But I think in the rematch yeah potentially uh but i think the rematch you you have to go over 30 absolutely yeah i think so or or some sort of like there
0: must be a winner type of thing yeah
1: all-time great episode noah says it will be remembered for a long
0: time this was the best episode of dynamite yet 10 out of 10 all right we got a jesse who says good show tonight The Kenny Omega Bryan-Danielson match was awesome. I love the ending, and it leaves it wide open for a rematch. Cody was seen as the heel in his match with Malachi. Hopefully, what we saw tonight was the beginning of a heel turn. I do question the way the matches were set up. I didn't understand why Omega Danielson went on first, and every match after that was not going to be able to follow it. I thought when they announced the women's match was the main event that we would see a title change, but we didn't. 8 out of 10. Yeah, again, just so you know, a lot of the conversation we had earlier on was um, maybe about... uh, this being a TV show and that being very different from um, what you would do for a pay-per-view. You know, the idea here is not necessarily to peak in terms of match quality, but to peak in terms of viewership and philosophically, I think they have a strategy here.
1: And as well, I mean, there you're running a bit of a risk. If you are booking a 30 minute match for TV and you've got to make sure all those four matches before it, all hit their times because yes. you've pretty much got to start entrances by 9.15 and get get everything in order to get your 30 minutes of TV time. And if you miss time mm-hmm. that, you've screwed up the end of your show.
0: Yeah, I imagine in a scenario like this, if they decided to go with this for the main event, they probably would have like scrapped something. But then somebody would have been pissed that their favorite wrestler didn't get a match. So this was probably the best decision for all of those reasons. Mm-hmm. And I think
1: as well, you're looking at if if this match is starting at you know nine twenty 920, nine twenty five. I think people are looking at it. That's you know it's it's kind of telling the tale at starting it. I think it, it does leave the outcome with, with some doubt. I I thought they made the right call. I feel pretty confident in that. Brett from Texas, amazing opener, I couldn't hear any time updates, and even though I was expecting a draw, it seemed to come out of nowhere. Still a top match of the year, and adds to the eventual pay-per-view match. The rest of the matches were solid, time flew by, but I couldn't help but think that the show would have benefited from a high-flying, flippy-shit match. Especially to show new
0: eyes how AEW can be different. Where's where's my flippy-shit? I don't totally disagree, especially like in the place where MJF and, and, and Brian Pillman Jr. took place. Like, I think it would have been a better follow up from like maybe the emotional hive of a punk Brian or, uh, sorry, Brian and, and Omega to have like a Lucha Brothers match in there or something. But, um, I don't know. You'll get plenty of flippy shit on other shows. Well,
1: uh, Brett seems like he had a high bar here. He says, I was also expecting a surprise or a title change at the
0: end, but there was none to be had. Overall, great show as the amazing opener anchored the show 8 out of 10. I don't like title changes for the sake of title changes. You know, like Soho winning the belt would have been okay. like would have been fine, I'm sure. But that's not the long term story I think they're telling. There's still plenty of life in a Britt Baker run. and, And to me, the long term story is Thunder Rosa. We got Andrew from Saint John who says AEW loves to put its big TV moments on first, and there's nothing bigger than Kenny versus Brian, a really tremendous match that showed off both of them in peak performance. Going in, I felt myself wishing the show was on a pay per view, but it absolutely—I wish I could have paid for this. <laughs> who do I give oh my My God, money they to? gave it to me. Oh my God, <laughs> can I just like throw money out the window or something? Uh, throw flush it down the toilet? Uh, he says uh, he wishes this show was on a pay per view, uh, but it, uh, we're just joking because. Yeah. Anyway, so but it absolutely transcended being a TV match to me. Totally had the atmosphere of a G1 block final. I only wish they had announced the time calls more clearly and so the crowd could have built to the time limit rather than booed it. Love the main event. Hope we see more between the two. Black Cody was fun and it presented staying well. Okay, Muggin writes, CM
1: Punk had it right about not wrestling tonight. Who would want to follow Danielson and Omega? I mean, in a way, he kind of did. He did have to follow them just a bit later. Uh, It was an electric outstanding opener that fulfilled me. The draw just begs for a rematch for even more superlatives. The rest of the show hummed along consistently. Punk's promo was fiery. Cody Malachi is nudging the former to go heel down the road. And the Baker Soho title match was good. Friday can't come soon enough.
0: And finally, we got a Kate from Montreal who says, I feel I would need to watch much of the show again to properly evaluate it because I think I missed a bunch while I was recovering from recovering from the amazing opener. It set a very high bar for the rematch that's obviously in the mail. But it's not like anyone else let me down, other than the camera operators and director during the Malachi Cody match. I was especially impressed with Sting, who I thought gave his best in-ring performance tonight. I can't wait until I'm 62 so I can move like that. Although Tony Khan hasn't totally won my trust when it comes to the handling of the women's division, putting them in the main event tonight definitely helps. What should they do now to keep Ruby looking strong and energized?
1: I think the way this match ended really does beg for the fact that Ruby had this match won if not for her backup and Ruby needs a squad. Ooh, okay.
0: Hmm. The Soho squad. Um, yeah. Hmm. The <laughs> Yeah. No. But, uh, who? Who? I mean, obviously, yeah, like a bit of faction warfare or at least her having some friends definitely would help. Who would you pair with her? I mean, you have no shortage of them they, on the on the roster, but you have. She, she kind of already has established like a babyface team, right? Like Riho and uh, Statlander, I guess. That's
1: right. I mean, they could they could uh, kind of emphasize that, or maybe uh, all of a sudden, uh, Runaway by Groove Coverage could just blast over the arena. What <laughs> and groove and then coverage. you have. I
0: told you about Groove Coverage. <laughs> okay. They have a song called, called Runaway? In, in
1: one ear, out the other. Anyway. Uh, maybe maybe that, that's something you could do with Ruby, because that was the story here, is that she was just outnumbered. That's what it came down to. She took out the two, but it was the numbers game with Jamie Hayter. I think the Runaways is a totally cool stable name. All right. Well, maybe that's that's a way they can go. So, uh, very, very strong edition of Dynamite, and they'll be back on Friday oh, groove, night. Groove Coverage. She should
0: come out with do, with go li- every, everyone. go listen to to Runaway by Groove Coverage. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, if they can score Rancid, I mean, maybe Tony Khan will have to put in a you know big offer. It's listen. It'd be worth uh, every every dime, folks,
1: to to hear the the great. I don't, I don't want to get us kicked us off, off uh, YouTube. Okay. I don't want this to I'll money. look it up on my own. All right. So that's it, way. We're back on Thursday. I'm glad I reminded you at the beginning of the show. G1 tomorrow. MCU later. You've got a busy day tomorrow.
0: Yeah, yeah. Watching the G1 in the morning with my uh, coffee, maybe even a can of Coke. Who knows? Uh, Recording a show with you sometime in the afternoon. So look out for that, patrons. And patrons, also, don't forget, Friday you get that show. And then Sunday, live, Extreme Rules pay-per-view, live for all patrons. We'll even be taking some calls. So um, tune in. All right. And uh, and
1: also Dark Side of the Ring on Thursday night will be covering Chris Canyon. So uh, I'm hoping I will get uh, time to see that at some point before Friday. But uh, we will do our best. So there you go. All of the news can be found at postwrestling.com, including spoilers. So go check them out. They will be clearly labeled. And we will speak with you on Thursday with our G1 coverage. Good night.